Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guest now, Ashley Hay, who's the editor of Griffith Review, and the latest edition is Griffith Review 74. It's uh, titled Escape Routes, and I've been speaking with Ashley off uh, off air, and it really is another brilliant edition and uh, complements the three earlier ones and rounds out uh, 2021 really well. But firstly, once again, welcome to Viewpoints, Ashley Hay. Thanks for having me, Henry. My pleasure and uh, our listeners' pleasure too. Um, well, it's been, before we get into the Griffith Review 74, um, Ashley, personally and professionally, how's this year been for you? Because it's been <laughs> tough for many people. <laughs> oh, it's been an interesting one, hasn't it? Um, look, I think there was a lot of anticipation coming into 2021. A lot of people just desperate to think that 2021 was going to be um, anything that wasn't 2020. Uh, and in some ways that's proved correct. And in other ways, I'm not sure that we're quite as far along from the shape of 2020 as we would like to have been. Um, I'm not sure I know anyone who's not ready to get to the end of this one as well. I think the the whole country probably wants to um, put its feet up for a while. It's been interesting. I think at the moment now it's just a question of waiting to see how we can all move around, where we can get to, what happens with new variants, all those sorts of things. We're just still in the next part of the narrative in lots of ways. Mm, we most certainly are, Ashley. And uh, Griffith Review 74 uh, Escape Routes, it, as I said earlier, and as you say in your forward, it's a, it's a way of complementing and rounding out the, the direction of sustainability that you were talking about for the year. But, of course, the year's panned out a little differently. And I'll just quote you. In your forward, you say, and I quote, Ash, in its own way, Griffith Review keeps evolving. Now, can you elaborate on that and in doing so include your marvellous little story about the rainbow lorikeet? For <laughs> I can. Um, look, I think one of the brilliant things about, about what Griffith Review is able to do and one of the absolute joys and privileges of having this job is we get to kind of throw forward an idea of what we would like to be talking about in, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months' time. Um, we get to move towards that point and obviously things change that sharpen that focus or change that focus or, you know, make it obvious that we're, we are somehow strangely and serendipitously on the right track um, or that we just need to, you know, jiggle everything a little bit. Um, I like the way the four editions this year do speak to each other really interestingly, I think, and that's partly, um, it's partly a function of the pandemic. I think the pandemic has inserted itself in all sorts of different ways into all of the books that we've made for readers this year. Um, but in terms of the sort of specific evolution of, of escape routes, we, like everyone, um, were hoping that by the time we got to this end of 2021, the escape routes we'd be thinking about would be, you know, lovely tropical island paradises that we could all, you know, run off and enjoy and just have a very uh, relaxed and um, recovered kind of a holiday. Now, of course, um, we're not really in that space. I think the word escape probably still means for most people we've got a bit more of a sense of having to tunnel out from underneath something 
large and unpleasant with a bit of a teaspoon. But um, <laughs> the great thing about escape routes as a phrase is it can it can hold all those different meanings. You know, it can be your kind of your kind of lovely, luscious, daydreamy escape. It can be um, a sense of reprise. It can be a sense of jailbreak. It can be all sorts of things. Um, we liked this word, this phrase, because it could come with us through the year and we could drop different kinds of stories in underneath its umbrella in a way that was pretty interesting. Mm, and you did that well. Now, the rainbow lorikeet, you start the with uh, your forward and you end with it. And they're a beautiful, raucous-sounding, uh, wonderful bird, native bird. They're gorgeous. Look, the rainbow lorikeet, I do sometimes um, – I write the the introduction for each edition. It's it's the last thing that gets done for each book. Um, sometimes I can see pretty clearly what sort of shape I want it to have or what sort of thread is going to run through it. Sometimes I literally have to walk around looking for it. And in the process of um, walking towards finishing this edition, which is a few months ago for us now before we printed it, we came across a rainbow lorikeet in the park behind our house, which we presumed had fallen out of its nest. It was just a fledgling. Someone uh, else who was in the park suggested that it might have been pushed by a malicious sibling, which gave me the sense that they might have had experience of that sort of thing in their own world. Um, but, yes, the rainbow lorikeet sort of gave us this lovely, gave me this lovely sort of story of escape, essentially. It, it had obviously fallen out of its nest. Um, we were able to scoop it up. We were able to take it off to the local vet. We were able to make sure that it was looked after. Um, so it had this sort of lucky escape in a sense that it had um, fallen from where it should have been to a pretty hostile environment. But um, some relatively um, useful creatures had happened along that could take it somewhere where it would be safe and where it would be looked after. The nice the nice sort of circle for the story, um, of course, is that, you know, because it's the local vet, we were able to check that it had survived. It had been released back into the park further down the track. And I was able to end this little introduction by talking about rainbow lorikeets that I could see um, through my window and imagining in that way that humans are able to do, telling myself the story, making up the story for myself that one of the ones that I was looking at was the one that we'd we'd actually recovered. Now, I don't know whether it was or whether it was just a very brilliant coincidence that, you know, these lovely birds were outside my kitchen window for me, but I think there's something very nice in being able to tell yourself that story at the moment, um, whether it is the literal truth or not. Um, I think there is uh, something to be said for hopefulness and for comfort and for oh, the kind of optimism that comes out of imagination maybe. Um, I think we probably all need a little bit of that at this end of the year. Absolutely. And you left the word out which goes without saying in that kindness. You showed some kindness mm. to that little little lorikeet. Um, now, a feature of Griffith Review, um, Ashley, of which you proudly write, is your long history of nurturing and supporting emerging talent. Now, now this year's been no different, and yet in some ways it has been. I'd like to explain. Well, we're very excited by this. So for a number of years, the, the fourth edition um, for our sort of cycle, the November edition for the cycle, was our novella competition. We were really grateful to the Copyright Agency Cultural Fund. They supported us through eight rounds of 
um, of being able to run a novella competition and there was some fantastic work that came out of that. When the funding for that finished, uh, we decided that rather than keep the novella project going, we wanted to really um, underscore this commitment that we like to make, that we're privileged to make to Australia's emerging voices. So instead of the novella project in this year's edition, we have our first emerging voices competition. So we opened up uh, entries for this in January last year. We were absolutely delighted by the response. We had over 300 entries. Um, some phenomenal pieces, just the the quality and the range of the uh, entries was just wonderful. It was very hard choices for the judges who were involved, but we're really delighted to have the four winners of this inaugural competition in this edition. Um, we have a beautiful piece of fiction called Americano Sal by Declan Fry, which is set on the island of Sicily. Um, a rather spooky story about celebrity by Vijay Karana, which is set in New York. Um, a piece called Emily Presents by Alison Gibbs, whose first novel had come out at the beginning of this year, uh, which is set at a writer's festival in the future, which I absolutely love. And the fourth piece, which is another sort of slightly futuristic, slightly dystopian piece called Camelopard, is by Andrew Roth, who is a short story writer based in Adelaide, who we've um, had the pleasure of publishing a couple of years ago now in our New Disruptors book. And one of the things that really struck us about the four that we ended up with as our winners was the different the different times and places that they were writing about. So here we are at the end of a year where we'd hoped perhaps all to be able to travel and move around a bit more. We're not really as mobile as we thought we might be, but we've got these four pieces I don't know if it's coincidental, I don't know if it's sort of subconscious bias on our part, but do take us to these different times and these different places in some really, really exciting ways. So we're thrilled that these four pieces form, I guess, the core of the book. They're all fiction. The competition was open to non-fiction as well, but the four winners are all fiction. We're really excited uh, that we've just heard that we've got funding to keep this competition going next year. So there'll be another Emerging Voices call out going out early in the new year for everyone who makes their New Year's resolution that 2022 is going to be the year that they write a great short story or a fantastic essay. Absolutely. Now, one of the things we tend to do with Griffith Review, and I'm doing it again, is pick out a few items there that mm. are of appeal to me in your comment. Now, I'll start, as you know, I love poetry. Mm -hmm. A poem that's only seven lines, 31 words, barely covers a quarter of the page, and yet it says so much, that Hayley Zilberberg poem. Mm. So, mm. It's, it's a real minimalist poem, and yet it it's, makes you think. I love this poem. So Hayley Zilberberg um, is an American writer who's now based in Australia, um, and the poem is called After Three Years in Australia. And it is, as you say, um, it's very brief. It's seven lines long. But it is one of those beautiful pieces of writing that puts into words something, when you read it, you feel like it's put into words something you've always been reaching towards and never quite brought into focus. She says so much about Australia, about America, about the world in these seven lines. It's a it's a great piece. Um, this is the first time that we've published Haley's work. We're really excited to bring this into the mix. And I think, you know, one of the things we find in this edition, 
we often find a way of getting a bit more poetry in than usual. So we have got seven poets in this edition. We usually aim to have sort of three or four. Um, Haley's was one of the pieces that came to us through the call out for the poetry. We always get a great response for this particular edition from the poets. We were thrilled to find her and, as I say, to bring this really particular and expansive but very minimal voice into the book. We really loved having this one in amongst the mix. Mm, you'd certainly, you certainly could never sit there and say, well, that was uh, a, a long journey um, to, to a conclusion. <laughs> now, a couple of others, and I could pick any of them. I, I, they're just a sample. Peggy Frew's uh, fictional story, Wildflowers, that's an incredibly powerful story, isn't it? It's beautiful. So this is an extract from a novel in progress which uh, Peggy has coming out. I'm, I'm not sure now if it's uh, next year or, uh, yes, next year or the year after. Um, Peggy's an award-winning writer, novelist. Uh, she's also um, a member of the band The Art of Fighting, which, you know, is another way of intersecting with her voice in a different way, I guess. Um, this piece is called Wildflowers and it tells the story of three sisters who are having a holiday. Um, it's not actually a holiday. It's a bit more of an intervention in a way that um, might sound familiar to people with families. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful piece of writing. I'm really excited. Uh, I think at the end of this week, we've got a recording of Peggy reading this work herself, which we'll be putting up. So if people like to listen to their short stories instead of reading them, um, that one will be available on the Griffith Review website um, in the next few days. But, yes, this is these three sisters and what Peggy manages to do in just a short space is give you so much of a sense of who they were as children, how their parents shaped their world and these little intimations of how that's landed them in three very different experiences of adulthood how two of them are trying to sort of, you know, assist the other, shall we say, um, and we leave them kind of in a taxi going off uh, for this holiday. And I'm really, I love Peggy's work. Um, I'm really excited to read Wildflowers, the novel, when that comes out. But this is just a wonderful little taster about three women who I think lots of people will find um, find familiar in different ways. Yes. Now, one there, I love the, I love metaphors and um, David Ritter with the, the metaphor of the Banksia, the title alone mm. gets me, the Banksia Revolution. It's a wonderful metaphor for change, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So David Ritter has written for us, um, a couple of times before. He's the CEO of Greenpeace Australia. Mm. He actually had a piece in our States of Mind edition um, exploring, well, I guess his own state of mind in a sense in the line of work that he does. Um, this piece I love because it picks up on a couple of uh, a couple of moments that he's been involved in around clean energy revolutions, around community intersections, small conversations in the face of, you know, very vast landscapes like the fires of the 2019-2020 summer, um, like the, the movement to renewable energy and sort of trying to get companies to sign up for, you know, for net zero undertakings or committing to using, you know, renewable energy. And what he does is draw these quite micro moments of conversation that he's privileged to have into a much bigger space exploring community and capital and this lovely sense of a germinal politics. I really love this idea. There are lots of different 
plants in Australia's landscape that require fire to to germinate, to sprout, to grow. Um, it's always one of the kind of amazing things that happens after some of the big conflagrations that we have, less so with something on the scale of 2019, 2020, but nonetheless. So I love the idea that he sort of sees um, he sees a cause for hope and cause for optimism and cause for, for celebrating new connections and new sproutings, I guess. And as you say, the Banksy Revolution is just a lovely title. It makes you immediately want to um, pick the piece up and see what he's exploring this time. Now, time's getting away from us. I can't get mm. away, though, from whether well, it would be remiss of me not to mention the picture story, the uh, mm. tyranny of distance, a tale of two cooks. Uh, by Alex Mankovic. That's a brilliant collection there of um, pictures and cartoons, isn't it, and stories? It's wonderful. So Alex is a, an award-winning graphic novelist and illustrator. Uh, we featured her work in Matters of Trust at the beginning of 2020 as well. Um, she wrote a big piece for that book too. This piece I love because it explores uh, the different sort of the different ways we think about travel and tourism, the way we could think about that in the kind of global world that shut down around February 2020 and, and how we're starting to think about movement again now. And she does this through the prism of two men called Cook, who will be familiar to all of us. James Cook on the one hand, who's, you know, sort of voyaging and um, notional exploring led to the settlement of Australia and the, you know, disruption of the whole colonial settler project after that. And also Thomas Cook, who set up that eponymous travel agency that really got mass tourism underway. And Alex, um, across her pages, meditates on the sort of different different ways that we move around the world, what we carry with us, what we expect, what we presume, uh, what we lose, and just reflects on some of the ways all these things have changed in the last 18 or 20 months. It's a really lovely intersection in in a book that explores all different kinds of escape routes. Absolutely. Time, as always, has got away from us, and that's just a sampler of um, brilliance. It's a, there's a consistency of of, of quality all the way through and uh, can I thank you for the, the work you put to, and the people that have put all this together uh, I think Griffith Review is one of the, the best uh, publications we've got if you want to nourish yourself through literature Thank you Henry I really appreciate that That was Ashley Hay, editor for the Griffith Review Griffith Review 74 Escape Routes listeners is out there now and um, it, it's, a, it's an outstanding read. I recommend it strongly. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 